Good morning, everyone. My name is Mary Ellen, and I'm the event coordinator for today. So please, if you need anything, come find me by the bookstore in the office. We also have um, our volunteers all have name tags, and they're hanging. Mine's to the side. So if you need anything, just let us know. Um, you're welcome to eat and drink in here. Just if you can put a lid on uh, your beverage would be wonderful. Um, we have a retreat opening and closing today, one, o- one closing after a month and then one opening for the second month. Um, so we ask that nobody go past the wooden gates up, up the hill. Uh, you can, of course, walk anywhere on the property. We're going to have lunch about 1230 to 130. Um, we'll put some tables out here in the tea room, but and you can eat in here, like I said. We do have a multi-day going on upstairs, so we ask that you just stay on the bottom level today. Um, the patio should be kind of nice outside. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's all the announcements that I have, and um, I'm just going to read what we have on our Spirit Rock teachers, because it pretty much says it. Anna Douglas, PhD, is one of the founding teachers of Spirit Rock Meditation Center and a member of the Teachers Council. She has taught classes and retreats in the insight meditation tradition nationwide for 30 years. She has a background in psychology and arts and offers ongoing psychology spiritual mentoring for students. She divides her times between the Bay Area and the desert of Arizona. She is the guiding teacher for Insight Meditation Tucson. She has um, an upcoming year-long, once-a-month um, year to live, and that starts on March 13th. Still available. And then on just next weekend, she also has another day-long wisdom and compassion now. And then a, a writing retreat on the... Um, that's a multi-day, three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, how the light gets in from, for women over 60. Okay. And you can find that all on our um, website also. Yes. Thanks. Thank you, Mary Ellen. Um, Welcome to Spirit Rock, everyone. I always enjoy these days for people who are what I think of as my tribe. It's like I I get to call together the tribe. When I was younger, I didn't know I was a member of, I would be a member of such a prestigious group. But now that I am uh, have qualified, beyond qualifications, I'm very uh, delighted. It's been a real wonderful discovery for me as I've gotten older. I'm now 78. And, you know, it doesn't fit my picture of you know, a woman 78 doing what I do, but somehow this is what's happened. I'm stuck with it. (laughs) 
But I do, I am very aware when I teach and uh, I'm fortunate to teach. I feel like teaching has, well, the practice has helped me so very much and teaching is a, a, you know, like, what is the saying? Uh, Cherry on the on the fruitcake i mean it's it's just the 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 best to be able to share the dharma with people who are um waking up and seeing what's going on because there's a lot of awakening as we get older i think you you will you're in touch with it already and it will only increase by coming together today and hearing other people's awakenings and getting a chance to name and recognize your own ahas, you will begin to see, uh, perhaps in a different way, the landscape of our... Thank you so much. To see what kind of landscape we are living in as people over, mostly over 60, I would imagine... Some of you may be in your 50s. How many of you are still in your 50s? Raise your hands and everyone look around. So you are the babes in this group. You may have felt you were old, but here (laughs) you're one of the youngsters. And then we can look at and see who's here in their 60s. Oh, look around. Got something got your attention from the 50s to the 60s. There's quite a difference, isn't there? And those in their 70s, raise your hands. Look around. This is your tribe. And those in your 80s. Oh, bravo. We had look, there's more. Keep your hands up so we all can look around. There's two over there. There's three here. Is that what we have? Five people in their 80s. Do we have any? Yes. Thank you. In their 90s, anyone? Not yet. (laughs) Those of you in your 80s, you'll come back and tell us how it is to be 90. 90s is one of the fastest growing cohorts demographically, people in their 90s. So, you know, we're not alone in this, are we? We're not alone. So part of what the value of getting together is that we feel, oh, yes, this is true for not just me. It's not just my personal failing that I can't remember where I put the car keys. There's something else going on. And there's a lot going on in the world of aging. Before we get into that, I thought I would uh, say a little bit about the day. In just a minute or two, we will sit together the practice. How many of you? Uh, let's see. How many of you are new to Spirit Rock? I know there are some people here new. Welcome, a special welcome. So we will be introducing the practice of mindfulness. We will not be giving extensive instructions on the practice, but I think I'll say enough so that you get a sense and you have a chance to try it out and see what it what it 
how it is for you. Um, so we'll, we'll have time to sit. We'll have time to do some walking meditation. And we can do walking either in the foyer outside or if it's not too cold, you can go outside and walk on the beautiful patio or on the road. Um, we have a walking practice that is, you know, it's something we do every day so we don't think of it as a practice. But we discover in meditation that all the ordinary activities of life can be part of our practice if we slow down a little bit, if we start bringing in a curiosity and interest and attention to all the movements of our bodies during the day. We find that can help to calm us, can help to help us feel I'm here, all is well. You know, the world is, it's functioning well, no problem. So we begin to include all the ordinary activities. So we'll practice some walking meditation because if you learn walking meditation, you'll always be practicing as you go about your day. And then we'll have some talking, dharma talking, 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 talking. I will be doing that part and talking uh, this morning primarily about, one, the landscape of aging in America, we could say. We are mostly white, middle-class, educated folks, I would say, looking around the room. I'm just guessing. I'm not absolutely certain of that. We may have other cultures represented, other communities. But for the most part, the aging that I'll be speaking about is influenced by my own experience as a middle-class, white, educated woman. Some cultures have very different attitudes towards aging than we do in America or in the West generally. And I will mention that. I won't be giving teachings about that extensively. But also we will be looking at some of the beneficial attitudes that the teachings of the Buddha bring into our consciousness that we find there are other attitudes and ways of viewing aging that may bring a great sense of uh, a greater sense of uh, acceptance and a sense of okay, this is this is how it is. So we'll be hearing some teachings, and we will also be doing uh, an interactive exercise this morning an interactive exercise in groups of three where you will have a chance to speak about your own aging process and you will also have a chance to hear how it is for others. And this is some kind of conversation that we rarely have in our lives. And we find it useful to be able to have a place where we can speak from honestly about our experience without fear of being judged or told you're doing it wrong or or I have a suggestion for you why don't you try Sufi dancing or something you know 
No, we want to honor our actual experience and be heard, you know, have our experience be shared so that others, we can, we can be honestly close to other people and not have to hide our, hide out of a sense of, I'm not having the right experience of aging. You're having the experience of aging that you're having and it's a fine experience and it's what we will learn from because in our practice we learn from our experience. So anyway, we'll be doing an interactive exercise and then we will break for lunch probably around 12.30 maybe a little bit later, but around that, and we'll have an hour for lunch. And then we'll come back in the afternoon. I will uh, mostly attempt to um, give you some of the attitudes and teachings of the Buddha that you might find helpful in your process. There's a lot of good news to share so I don't want to scare you with the thought that, you know, it's you have to talk about all the, the difficult things of aging. There are difficult challenges for sure. And by the way, one of the reasons I particularly like teaching people of your esteemed age is that if I forget... Oh my God, a teacher who forgets, you know. If I forget the name of a particular Buddhist scholar that I'm trying to remember, or if I start a sentence and the end has disappeared, you will be patient with me. You will not be overly judgmental. And maybe we can all laugh together because, you know, that helps. And it's not the end of the world. Forgetting is not the end of the world. It's annoying, it's disturbing, it's disruptive, but it's not the end of the world. There are maybe other things more important, like being here, breathing in, breathing out. That's pretty easy to remember. You may forget other things, but oh, I'm here and I'm breathing in and out. That's a really wonderful thing to remember. Okay, so I'll, I thought I would um, share something to begin and then we'll sit. Um, this is a, a piece of writing that came to me by the internet. So I don't know who wrote it exactly. (laughs) But it speaks to all of us, hopefully. And it's written for the kids who survived the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s. Remember those days? First, we survived being born to mothers who may have smoked or drank while they were pregnant. They took aspirin, ate blue cheese dressing, tuna from a can, and didn't get tested for diabetes. Then, after that trauma, we were put to sleep on our tummies in baby cribs. 
covered with bright colored lead-based paints. <laughs> we had no childproof lids on medicine bottles, locks on doors or cabinets. And when we rode our bikes, we had baseball caps, not helmets, on our heads. As infants and children, we would ride in cars with no car seats, no booster seats, no seat belts, no airbags, bald tires, and sometimes no brakes. (laughs) Riding in the back of a pickup truck on a warm day was always a special treat. I see some of you nodding. We drank water from the garden hose and not from a bottle. We shared one soft drink with four friends from one bottle, and no one died from this. (laughs) We ate cupcakes, white bread, real butter and bacon. We drank Kool-Aid made with real white sugar, and we weren't overweight Why? Because we were always outside, playing. That's why. We would leave home in the morning and play all day. Remember that? As long as we were back when the streetlights came on. No one was able to reach us all day. (laughs) And we were okay. We would spend hours building our go-karts out of scraps and then ride them down the hill, only to find out we forgot the brakes. We did not have Playstations, Nintendos, and Xboxes. There were no video games, no 150 channels on cable, no video movies or DVDs. No surround sound or CDs, no cell phones, no personal computers, no internet, and no chat rooms. Wow. That's something to comprehend, isn't it? Imagine taking all that away from, from a 10-year-old. Now, they would be traumatized. <laughs> we had friends. We had friends, and we went outside and found them. We fell out of trees, got cut, broke bones and teeth, and there were no lawsuits from those accidents. We would get spankings with wooden spoons, switches, ping-pong paddles, or just a bare hand, and no one would call child services to report abuse. We ate worms and mud pies made from dirt, and the worms did not live in us forever. Remember that fear? The worm will live in you forever. We were given BB guns for our 10th birthdays. Road horses made up games with sticks and tennis balls. And although we were told it would happen, we did not put out very many eyes. We rode bikes or walked to a friend's house and knocked on the door or rang the bell or just walked in and talked to them. The idea of a parent bailing us out if we broke the law was unheard of. They actually sided with the law. These generations have produced some of the best risk takers, problem solvers, and inventors ever. So, that's our journey that we remember, that we share 
They have said that the baby boomers, and many of you are baby boomers, will do aging differently, will do dying differently. And maybe that's true. We don't know yet, but maybe that part is true. And we'll have another way to describe this time of life. Okay. So... um, Let's sit together, and you can do that on by finding a posture, whether you're sitting in a chair or on a cushion, finding a posture where you can feel both grounded, what do I mean by that? Grounded means feeling the contact of your body with the earth via the chair, the floor. So a simple thing like noticing the contact of your feet with the chair, I mean with the floor. Feeling your buttocks touching the cushion or the chair. Noticing that you are touching the earth, the ground underneath you. That is grounding. That means you're here. When we think a lot, we forget this contact. So in meditation to find more balance and ease in our bodies and minds. We come into this contact with the earth. And you can do this in any posture. You can do it sitting. You can do it while you're walking. You can do it just standing still. If you're standing in a line, you can feel your feet and feel the support of the earth under you. You can also do it lying down if you're taking a nap or in bed. You can feel the support of the bed underneath you. This is where we start in meditation with grounding our bodies as a way to slow down the thoughts and enter a world of sensation connection with hearing seeing, tasting, sensing This is what the body does. It hears, it sees, it senses, it tastes, it touches. We begin to open to that world which is quite leisurely. (coughs) 
I like to say we re-inhabit the pace of life itself. Life unfolds at a somewhat slow pace compared to the life of the mind, the life of thinking about everything. So noticing with your attention the grounding in the body and then noticing the movement of the breath in the body. Most people feel this movement of breath either as a rising and falling of the abdomen or the chest or as the sensation of the air going in and out at the tip of the nostril. Ask yourself which of these Can I feel the most easily at the tip of the nose or in the chest or in the abdomen? Where do I notice the breath most easily? Now the mind tends to wander, run around, think about things. It's just the nature of the mind. We don't need to make it stop, but we do need to learn how to turn our attention from all those thoughts, thoughts about the past, future fantasy, conjecture, analysis, planning, all that the mind does so very well. We need to learn, and this is like the essence of mindfulness, you could say, we learn not to attend to the thoughts as much as we attend to breath and feeling the contact of our body with the ground, with sound, with sight, being in the body, living, breathing awareness.
feeling the breath. That's all. You don't have to make it any particular way, but simply feel each inhalation. Feel each exhalation. Let it move in its own pace. Let the breath breathe itself. No need to rush or control the breath. It's more like you're harmonizing yourself with the gentle movement of breathing. So this is a very useful part of practice, this utterly ordinary but very helpful tuning in to the body. Sitting on the earth feeling the support of the ground and bringing your attention to the breath. Actually, over time, the mind then calms down. doesn't necessarily stop all thinking, but it does slow down. Notice that breath is always present and we can return to it over and over again.
by doing this simple but not so easy practice of coming into the body, feeling the earth support, feeling the breath. By doing this, we learn to be here, undistracted. That's a very unusual state for humans. We spend our lives mostly in distraction. Doing one thing and thinking about another. Or doing five things and doing them all at once. Or going somewhere, getting somewhere. This is a radically different approach to being alive.
Feel the aliveness of your body. The pulsing of the blood in your veins, the beating of your heart, temperature on your skin. movement of your breathing the warmth or the coolness hearing the sounds of life all around you the sound of my voice the sound of the Ventilation, the sound of the birds. Know yourself to be alive. Even pain tells us we are alive.
Notice how you feel. Notice if you can describe what's present. Is it calmness? Is it peace? Is it stillness? Is it enjoyment? Is it openness, spaciousness? So please stand up and stretch if you would like, wiggle, give your body some, some of what it needs. As we age, of course, our bodies speak to us in new ways, and we need to pay attention. So if we've been sitting too long in, in this day, if you feel like you want to stand up at any point, take a little position in the back of the room and stretch, that's fine. Because I think it's so important for us to learn how to nurture our bodies as best we can with the thing. The The body needs help. <laughs> so we don't want to ignore that. Also... Um, during the day, if you need to use the restroom at any point, we're not going to take formal breaks, but any time you need to use the restroom, feel free to get up and, and go, go to the restroom and then come back in. That's fine. So now I want to <coughs> tell you about some of the demographics of aging. <laughs> because it's a pretty interesting landscape uh, out there demographically. Things are changing in the world of humans. We're living longer. That's one change. But because of that, 
there's a, a, a rethinking of the whole thing about what it means to be old. How many of you work in the field of aging or health? And yeah, so any, anything you want to add, I welcome. Because I'm not an expert, I've just gleaned some things from what I've heard or read. But you may know more than I. Traditionally, the age between 60 and 65 has been called in our culture the retirement years. But it has been pointed out more than once that retirement may no, may no longer be the relevant word for those years. That the way our parents did it, retiring 60, 65, may not be our way. Many people over 60 are continuing to work, some by choice, some by necessity. People 55 and over are the fastest growing segment of the U.S. labor force. More people working. And AARP found in a survey that those over 55 who planned to work were driven more by the desire to be active and productive than by economic necessity. They weren't ready to retire. They felt still like they wanted to be engaged and productive. People are in part working longer because they are living longer. On the cover of National Geographic magazine of several years ago, there was a little baby's face. And it said, this baby will live to be 120. No hype. And then the whole article was about how people are living longer and how turning 100 may not, very soon we're in that turning place where being 100 isn't so special anymore. Maybe hitting 120 is the special mark now. So, uh, and I, as I said before, the 90-year-olds are now the fastest-growing age cohort Between 2000 and 2030, the number of Americans over 65 will double. There's going to be a lot of us. There's already a lot of us. As of yet, we don't have an agreed-upon word for this phenomenon of people living longer and working longer, staying engaged. Retirement is not the word that fits. But what does? But there is the recognition, whatever the name of it becomes, or the name of this, this phenomenon, what we eventually call it, it does point to the fact of an emerging new life stage in the human you know, evolution. As distinct from adulthood as... Our teen years were from being a child. So one of the things I I like to talk about, and I will do so more a little bit later, is that we are, one way to think about life over 60 is we are entering a new developmental stage with different tasks 
than what we have been up to, you know, our, all our adult life. We have new tasks in this new developmental stage. And part of the work of aging is to discover what, that, what those tasks are. What, what is it about? A Washington Post reporter in 2011 wrote, something huge is happening here. The emergence of an older, more vigorous population is the most significant story of our times. Instead of retiring, should we say, he or she is re-engaging? Should we have longevity funds instead of retirement funds? In fact, I was looking at, there was an ad for some retirement uh, fund in Time magazine, and it said, it was talking about the different kinds of risks in terms of thinking ahead, thinking, trying to make your money last for your retirement years. They talk about, uh, you know, not, not uh, doing things rashly, like, you know, emotional issues around planning our money. But they also talked about a risk being what they call longevity risk. It's a new risk in the retirement uh, world. Like, oh my God, what if I live even 10 years longer than I'm planning for? It's a new risk. (laughs) Only in capitalism could we think of it in terms of money oh my god so i like to say this if we are if it's possible to live to 120 and some of us might what does that mean about turning 60 it means you're only halfway there what are you going to do with the rest of that time we haven't thought about it, have we? We certainly won't be having kids. We've done that. <laughs> what will you do with this precious life? What will it mean for the human enterprise? And then there are the growing numbers of people, which doesn't get reflected so much in the research, but I think it will. It's coming. But there are the growing numbers of people like yourselves, like myself, who are, have been or are getting interested in meditation, in yoga, in qigong, in different views of aging than the, than the culture gives us but people who have some sort of inner practice that create a greater sense of well-being in the mind and the body. All of these, all of these uh, disciplines, if you enter, if you go to, to practice qigong or yoga or meditation, they all talk about the connection between the mind and the body. In our culture, we have separated those two. Most medicine does not give much credence to the impact of the mind on the body, except in the field of psychoimmunology. I think I said it right. 
that field, they're recognizing the uh, impact of mind and body go together. But for the most part in medicine, the body is just, you know, the body and the mind is something else. So now, with neuroscience being very uh, uh, much on people's radar and people doing neuroscience, looking at mind and body, they're coming up with all kinds of new discoveries that we might say that those who have been meditating for many years could sense this connection between mind and body but had no way to prove it. But now with neuroscience, it's right there. It's, you, you can see the effect of meditation on the, on the brain. Stunning results. One of the positive effects, um, here are some of the positive effects of meditation on the body. Positive effects on the immune functioning. Positive effects on nervous system functioning. Positive effects on cognitive abilities. Positive effects on the genes related to the aging process. On the cellular activity related to the aging process. All of these studies reveal that meditation not only affects the brain, but the organs of the body, the various organs of the body, the cellular activity of the body. And all of this adds up to slowing the aging process. One researcher called meditation a veritable fountain of youth. One piece of research that might interest you Those who practice regularly for five years, practice mindfulness for five years in some kind of very consistent ways, reduce their biological age by 12 years. (laughs) So you better get going. Your five-year plan. Reduced biological age by 12 years. It slows the aging process down. And, I mean, you know, this is like, really? How could that be? Well, this is the beginning of a new understanding of mind and body. That's the point I want to make. Our brains, part of that understanding is seeing what is called the neuroplasticity of the brain. Uh, the brain is has been discovered to have a remarkable ability to adapt to change and to learn. We we can learn new tricks. The old dog learns new tricks. Uh, the the brain has a remarkable ability to lay down new neural pathways that represent new thoughts and feelings and behaviors. All of this was not believed in until neuroscience, through the MRI, through different things, 
can point to it and say, there it is. The brain never stops changing. The brain in aging adults also has remarkable abilities to adapt and learn new ways of taking care of itself. So what we do with our minds, with our attention, matters. So like I said during the meditation practice, what we do with our mind, whether we are encouraging that kind of distracted mental attention that are that goes on and on in us uh, whether we give attention to that or whether we give attention as we as I was encouraging you in the meditation to simply breathe that has an impact on the brain's functioning they did one study where they showed that um let me see if I can find the specifics. Um, I think I'll find it, but I'm not finding it right at this moment. So I'll let that go for now. So, anyway, I think think the point is clear that what we do with our attention, what we do with our uh, mind in the sense of meditation, which is a little more than thinking about things, but it's directing our attention to help us calm ourselves, to help us feel a sense of well-being and sense of being in the present. All of that is being registered in the body and having a positive impact on the cellular life of our body. So, even though when you're meditating it may feel like not much is going on, on a cellular level, a lot is going on. You are rewiring your whole system. It's just happening in a moment-to-moment way. In the same way, I like to say, in the same way like flowers grow in your garden. You plant daffodils and pretty soon they appear. Do you see them growing? Not exactly. You don't see them growing. They move very slowly, but they do appear, right? In the same way, meditation is having an impact on us, even though we can't see it happening as it's happening. So we have to appreciate the subtlety of what I'm talking about. Um... So there's a man named John Kabat-Zinn who uh, created Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is a program for people with chronic pain and has had great success helping people work with their chronic pain. He said, uh, when we look at the structure of the brain, not only is the brain functioning differently, 
what some people call the real estate of the brain is being recruited in the service of greater compassion, equanimity, clarity, and wisdom. These are the things that are talked about in our Dharma practice. These are things, these are qualities that we speak about, that we learn to identify in our own experience and learn to cultivate through our meditation. They begin to find uh, like real estate in the brain. It's like monopoly. You get compassion going and it takes over the certain portion of the gray matter in your brain and it can be pointed to. It can be shown on an MRI. You go into a state of cultivating compassion and it begins to light up. So the, this is not just uh, fantasy. It's actually <laughs> real estate in the brain. So um, another, another. oh, here's the, the thing I was looking for before. This is a study in which m- the wandering of the mind the distracted mind, was correlated with shorter telomeres. Does anybody here know what a telomere is? And would somebody explain it? Yes. Yes. It's, it's a, a, a series of, of bases at the end of a chromosome that get shorter with time. Yes. And Yeah, so each cell has chromosomes which have, which have telomeres and with aging the telomeres shrink. They get smaller, they get shorter. So what they have found, in I don't know how they did this study, but somehow they did a study in which they, they demonstrated that when you allow your mind to be very distracted all the time and wandering around and just chattering, that shortens your telomeres. Not a good thing. If you practice a a calming meditation, such as what we did this morning, focusing on the breath, feeling the body being here, that lengthens your telomeres. So this is like physical proof of the slowing down of the aging process. So, this is good news. Some have called meditation the fountain of youth, the the thing that most helps us in our aging process. So that is definitely my view. I am biased. I've been at this for a while. And I know that it's helpful not only physically, but also psychologically and emotionally and uh, just in every possible way. So that is why I think it's a valuable thing to get together and reflect on our own aging process and see how the practice can help us.
So these three trends of people living longer, working longer, and more people engaging with mind-body disciplines, these all speak to a incredible potential that we have in this time of our life to um, cultivate and develop the higher functions of human consciousness. What are those? Love, equanimity, compassion, wisdom, uh, conflict resolution, resilience, however we want to say it, this practice has the potential to help us with whatever challenges we're going through at this time of our life. So that's really happy. Now, how this works in practice is that, and and many of you who've come to Spirit Rock, how many of you have been on a retreat here at Spirit Rock? Many of you have. So you you're you know from your own experience that the practice works not the, not by theory. I'm not giving you a theory of aging today. I'm giving you news about research that's grounded in actual experience and I'm also encouraging you to trust your own experience of aging. We're going to do a, an exercise in which you you will have a chance to speak about your own experience. And so the the practice is not theoretical. It works with what we're dealing with inside of ourselves, moment to moment. So if we come here today with a lot of anger or with a lot of despair, that's where we start. That's where we start. And we say there's something here to learn. What's in the way is the way. That's a saying we have. It might seem like, well, I could meditate if I wasn't so depressed. But actually, it's the depression that will become the work of your meditation. And it will show you what you need to learn. That's how it works. So, uh, the Buddha said over and over about this practice, come see for yourself He didn't say, you have to believe what I tell you. Come see for yourself if what I say is true. And that, when I first heard the the teachings, I was almost 40 years old, but I had and I had already <clears throat> I'd already gotten a PhD in psychology. I was a seeker. I was looking for answers. I was wanting to understand more about the mind, and I I thought psychology would would be helpful and in some ways it was but it was theoretical a lot of it was very th- it was freud's theory versus young's theory versus somebody else's theory uh, you know it was very interesting i'm not at all regretting that or putting it down but when i heard the teachings of dharma come see for yourself and i was invited to sit in with my own experience and see what was true that just set me going in a really interesting way because i thought nobody had ever said that to me in my whole life trust your you know your own understanding 
your own ability to contact the truth of these teachings in my own experience. Did I see that they were true? Yes. So an example would be that Buddha spoke many times about impermanence. He spoke over and over and over again, probably more on impermanence than almost any other subject. He talked about that and the importance of recognizing the fact of it, not being in denial of the fact of impermanence, not imagining you're going to live forever, not imagining that you're not going to die. No, we need to look at it honestly. So we come face to face with the reality of change. Do we not? Anybody here not in touch with the fact of change in your own direct experience? Yes. It is a universal experience. Everybody Everybody, every human. I, I, you know, I, I kind of like that we can talk about aging because it's such an equal opportunity experience. <laughs> you know, it's not like there are some people to whom this does not apply. No, it applies to every human being who has a body and is getting older. They're going to notice some change or they're going to try not to notice some change. Maybe that's also true. But eventually, it's, un, it's there. You, you see that, oh my goodness, it, it, me, I'm getting older. It's happening to my hair, my skin, my bones, my energy, my mobility. It's all happening right here. We don't need to look far. And then the question becomes, and and we all experience, we have different experiences of change, we don't all have the same experience of change, but it will bring up stuff for us. Sometimes a feeling of vulnerability, sometimes a feeling of anger. I hate this, I don't want to do this part. Let's let's try to, you know, (laughs) get young. So the, the thing we're left with is what, okay, the, it's here, change is here, it's not going to stop, we're not going to get younger, this is it. So we kind of get with the program, right? Okay, given the givens, what is my response to that? What is a skillful response to the fact of getting older and not liking it so much? How do we respond Within, with more despair, with more angst, with anger? There's a cartoon from the New Yorker uh, in, a, in a living room, a woman sitting in her armchair. She's talking on the phone to her friend. Her husband is sitting by the open window with what looks like an AK-47 pointed out the window and she's saying to her friend, he's angry about getting old. <laughs> That's one response. We may have other responses, but what we also have is a practice of mindfulness, of awareness that shows us how to work with that, 
how to work with what comes up around change, how to find a greater sense of uh, okayness, of acceptance, of seeing that everyone gets old. It's not a personal affront just to me. I'm not a victim, a special victim, you know. No, this is what we all are in. We're all in it together. And we can help each other find our way. So that's one example. There's another example uh, that's a kind of a common experience with aging is some sense of confusion about who identity. Anybody here feel some sense of that? That confusion about, well, who am I now? I used to be such a wonderful lawyer. I'm just making something up. And now I, I'm not needed in that role anymore. I'm not paid to show my brilliance in the courtroom or whatever it is that you were doing. All that's gone. Who am I now? Or I was a mother. The kids have left home. Who am I now? I was a great... I played, you know defense for that team for so long and now I can't do it. Who am I now? So this is another one of those questions that is was on the top of the Buddha's list about identity, about self, how we take ourselves to be roles and positions and jobs that are not us. We take them to be self. We take them to be who I am. And they reveal themselves to be impermanent and we're not it. We're not that. Often the sense of losing a a position in the world, a role in the world, brings with it a sense of diminishment, of loss. So again, this is an emotional reaction that we need to learn how to work with. And mindfulness very much shows us how to do that. So, this was a little a story of two young women, young women, on the street in San Francisco, they were overheard having a, this little conversation. One young woman was saying to the other, you know, in this world, there's old people and young people. We just lucked out. <laughs> Won't they be surprised? So I want to have you have some time for walking meditation. But let me say just another chunk of teaching right here, if you don't mind, because then then we'll be free to go on. Um, what I'd like to introduce is this added the the importance of our attitude towards aging that given that we're all in this 
particular experience together and what is our work to be done if we accept that we are aging and we accept the fact of it and that it's not going to go away and this is our task that our that our attitude has a lot to do with our experience so i'd like to say that what i see is we mostly are operating with three different attitudes coming towards us one is the attitude of the culture what do you know about the attitude of the culture towards old people what have you experienced in your own life perhaps of how people how you are treated by others who see you as an old person or as an aging person an aging woman an aging man suddenly you're you're in a club that you hadn't really planned on joining but you see that <laughs> you're being subjected to certain attitudes what would you say those attitudes are let's hear from a few people if you would speak up so we can all hear Invisible. Disgusting. Disgusting. Needing help. Needing help. Weak. Weak. Condescended to. Condescended to. Like talk real slow so you can. (laughs) (laughs) Or can I help you find something? You look so lost. Patronized, ignored, stereotyped, dismissed, in the way. I want to throw in the positive thing here. Okay. Yes. So there is that as well. Thank you for bringing that forward. It's they will give you a seat on the BART. Yes. The the tats and the piercing and the green hair. They give you a seat. Yeah. <laughs> More freedom to interact with people. Yes. Yes. You know, to be open and to be engaging with people when you're younger, you you always are sort of it's more circumscribed. But as you yes. have this um, freedom to you're not gonna be um, hit on. <laughs> Sometimes you might. So this is great. We're hearing all kinds of different, uh, uh, you know, things that you notice. Yes. Yes. 
Yes, you do have time. She'll, she's referring to another class I taught here uh, that I used the word treasure hunt, looking for the the qualities of heart and mind that help us in our lives, like compassion and love and calmness and a sense of interest and joy and happiness. That these are positive qualities that very much come. <laughs> They come kind of out of the blue because our job is to sit and pay attention and then they appear. So it's not that we um, have a, 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 so much an agenda when we sit as we have an openness to discovery, to see what comes. So that's something I can say about that right now. Um, that many of the other thing, other you know, teachers here and things that are taught here would add to what I'm saying, but that's a beginning. What else do you notice? Yeah. I just wanted to put out an idea. Um, in the architectural world, there's a concept of universal design, and it started with trying to design homes more for older folks, but then that home is better for a young mother with toddlers. Um, and I've kind of morphed that to universal interactions is that I can accept help. Other people who are younger need to have help finding things in the store. And likewise, I just treat them as a person. Yeah. Than a young person or a yeah. Person. It's kind of like universal treatment of people. Yes. And helping them and accepting help no matter what age. Well, I like what you're saying. You're bringing in the universals because this is a universal experience we're having. It may seem very personal, but actually we're having a, an experience that every human, if they're so lucky to live to 80 or 90, has around aging. And the more that we can depersonalize it and not take it so much like, poor me, or look what's happened to me, the, more, the easier it will be. And the more we will not get caught in that sense of... Um, being being the victim. So, um, okay. Oh, I was going to share this cartoon from the New Yorker. Yeah, I'm just trying to get through them. Yeah. So here's here's the last of the first attitude. Um, this is a, a a couple, a man and a woman, um, speaking to a minister about their upcoming marriage. They're sitting and he's asking them questions about what kind of ceremony they'd like and all that. And the, the, the husband-to-be is saying to the minister, we'd like you to leave out the poor sickness and death parts. They're a little dark. So the first task of aging is to accept the truth of it, the reality of it, not to be in denial, not to try to leave it out. Okay, so that's the first attitude. The second attitude that we get, that we bump into, is our own ego's attitude. The ego that doesn't like what's happening to our physical body that doesn't like how we look and it wants something different. So we have a lot of ads in the magazines about staying young 
And they very much appeal to our sense of ego. Like, yes, I want to stay young. I used to be so attractive, and I want to get back there. And this will help me, this cream, this magic, wonderful cream. I know it will do the... (laughs) Has anybody found the magic cream yet? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, or another kind of sort of denial of aging comes in in overestimating what we can handle. You know, we used to have a very fast-paced schedule. Now we're slower. I can't fly to the East Coast as I once could and get up for the early morning sitting at the, the next retreat I was teaching. I, you know, it's out of my... It's just not going to happen. <laughs> So, um, in fact, there was a cartoon about that, the um, about the Olympic uh, oh, the figure skater who did this new thing that everybody was talking about, this amazing new move. Triple axel something, something. Yeah. And so there's a cartoon in the latest issue of The New Yorker, and the cartoon is called Mortality, a man sitting in front of the TV thinking to himself, I can pretty safely say to myself that I will never do a triple axel in this life. (laughs) One of the things that we cross off our list, that won't be happening. So, um, yeah, it's accepting the limitations of our energy, of our capacity. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'd like to add one thing that's really helped me over the years. It was something that Walter Cronkite said at the end of every, every program. He used to say, I've got the wages. Yes! I remember that. Yes. Wonderful. So there's a little Dharma teaching in all this that we took pride in things that uh, were in our life without even realizing. We might have taken pride in our physical appearance or we took pride in our capacity to do certain things or in our intellect or in our energy or our athletic prowess. We took pride in things that have since disappeared. They have gone, they have left. We took pride in things that were not under our control. And one of the the Dharma teachings is about not being in control. That aging is an experience none of us would have chosen. We wouldn't have designed it for ourselves and said, oh, I can't wait. No, it is something that is beyond, in many ways, beyond our control. Yes, we can make good choices for a healthy lifestyle, etc., but in many ways it is not under our control. So with that comes an increase in our sense of vulnerability and sort of like, wow. So again, what can be helpful, and this is the third attitude, the attitude that we come to aging and all these things with, is we come with the Dharma the attitude of the Dharma that teaches that this is a universal experience. It is uh, an encouragement for acceptance and compassion. Compassion for yourself and compassion for others. Compassion for people who are completely suffering because of aging. 
You see many of those all around you. People who are in a mortal fight with the fact of aging. You know, can we bring compassion and to those people? That is a part of our task. And working with our mind as a way of preparing ourselves for further aging, for further vulnerability, for further disability, for death itself. Can we work with our mind so that we're not so freaked out about these changes that are inevitable? Nothing is more essential to this time of life than working with our minds. Suzuki Roshi said, why do we, somebody asked him towards the end of his life, why do we practice? He said, we practice for one reason, so that we can be happy in our old age. We can have a mind that is friendly, kind, accepting, compassionate, wise about things. Not a mind that is fighting, that is struggling, that is lost in despair or, or depression. This is the possibility that practice offers us. Robert Louis Stevenson said, Sooner or later we all sit down to a banquet of consequences. Isn't that beautiful? I think aging begins to show us that, that we, ha- we are reaping the consequences of what we have given our time and attention to. And we have a chance with our Dharma practice to change what some of those consequences will be in the future. When we are dying, can we be at peace rather than in, a, you know, in some sort of struggle? That is a consequence of having practiced. So we learn to be wise about uh, creating in our own hearts and minds what will help us in the days to come. Okay, so now we're going to do a walking practice, as promised. Let's... It's 11.35, so let's... Who will be ringing the bell? Can we have one of the volunteers? Yeah, will you ring the bell? Okay, so ring the bell at 5 of noon. Let's actually make it sooner than that. Let's ring the bell at actually uh, 11.45. So we'll have a short walking. It's a little bit cool. Anyway, so take this time, and I would encourage you to stay in silence. Stay with what is coming up for you. I've said a lot of things about aging. What's, what, are, what are you sitting with? What's coming up for you? Stay with that experience. And when we come back, we'll do an inquiry together, an interactive exercise. Okay. If you haven't done walking before and would like some instructions, you can come up here. You can come up front.
from a British friend, but they, they call it retirement, the third age. Yes. I like that. I like that too. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, good. I'm going to take this off so I'm free of...
So everyone should have gotten this small slip of paper on your seat. Did anyone not get one? There's extras here. Okay. So we're going to do a little uh, exercise with two. uh, We're going to break up into groups of three. So you'll be partnering up with two other people. I would like you to find, you can spread out in the room and just create a little clump of the three of you so you can see each other. You'll be facing each other. And and then, um, well, maybe I'll talk a little bit about what it is now. It's called contemplative inquiry. How many of you have done some form of this? Some of you come to Spirit Rock regularly, have been exposed to it. So... You know, a lot of times we come and we sit in our chair or on the cushion and we're just present with ourselves. We're just in our own experience. And you can come to some retreats and never hear what's going on with your neighbor or uh, you, you know, there's not a lot of sharing ordinarily in this way of practice. Um, so we have found it over the years, we found it helpful to have some practices that are done out loud. So you get a chance to hear what others are experiencing and you get to see what it's like to share your own experience in an honest way, knowing that the people you're sharing with are not going to be judging you. Um, they're not going to be... Uh, telling things about you when they leave. The confidentiality is very important for this exercise so that everybody knows that, you know, they won't be spoken about outside of here. And so it creates a safe space for people to share honestly uh, what their experience is. So the questions on this sheet are just meant to be prompts for you. Uh, you know, what is your experience of aging? How do you experience it? We all are a little bit different this way. What is our attitude towards being older? Or do we have different attitudes at different times? What are the things you like about being older? What are some ways it is challenging for you? Are you hard on yourself about your aging? Where might you benefit from some self-forgiveness or compassion? So it's a reflective process. It's a time for you to reflect on your own experience. There's no right way to answer. There's no wrong way to answer. It's an honest reflection that you're sharing with two compassionate witnesses. The two people that you'll be speaking with are there to hold you in a non-judgmental kindly space, not interrupting you, not giving you advice, not correcting you, none of that, but just holding, just listening wholeheartedly and giving the the person your full attention. So you'll each have time to address these questions. You'll each have maybe about six or seven minutes to speak honestly about what comes up for you when, you when you read these questions. You don't have to answer all of them. Answer the ones that bring up something for you. 
Um, or if there's not a question on here that you like, create your own question. That's fine. So it's it's a time for um, you to... Is, what often happens in this exercise, people are surprised by what they say because you don't have to think a lot ahead about these questions. See what comes up in the moment. And um, you might be surprised what you bump into. We often don't know what we think until we start speaking and then things come up. So any questions? Yes. Yeah, we're just listening. No feedback. This is a this is a chance for people to not be told anything and it's kind of liberating. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so find two other people and they can be people you know or people you don't know. Turn to your neighbor, find Does everybody have a group? Oh, um, dude, I think it would be best to do two twos rather than fours. So the two of you, yeah, you'll just have a little more time, which is... Okay. Anyone without a group? Oh, and you need a... Oh, you, there's two of you. Oh, I see. Hmm. No, there are two. So, do it together. You can do it together. Just do it, do, do it, do it together. Okay. And you'll have a little more time. Okay? Okay, let's start together. So, first of all, decide who will be the first to go. And maybe you can do that by uh, whoever is older. (laughs) Oldest. The oldest person in your group will start... Yes. Yes. I, we're going to start together in just a moment. I'm going to ring the bell. That will be the signal to start. And then when you hear the bell again, that will be the signal to stop. So only one person is speaking at a time. So first person, please begin.
It's okay. I notice you're having a conversation. Yes. We're we're, we're not, yeah. 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 Just let one person talk. Yeah. Just one person. Okay. We yeah. needed to do a little bit of it, so we went rogue on you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see if you can do it my way. That's all right. Bring it to a close. Everyone now close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes and come back inside. Feel feel your body sitting. (coughs) Feel feel your breathing. Breathe. Okay, then open your eyes. And next person, the next oldest person, please begin.
bring it to a close. Once again, everyone, close your eyes and come back inside. Feel your body, feel your breathing, feel your heart. Breathe. And open your eyes. And the last person, please begin. Please do notice that letting the person only speak is a great gift to them. So please don't interrupt or get into a conversation. Just give them their space to speak. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. So um, please begin.
bring it to a close. I would say take a few minutes in your group to complete anything that's incomplete or if you wanted to say something and you didn't, now's the time to do it. We'll just do this for a few minutes and then we'll come back in the large group. Okay, bring it to a close. Come back together. Say goodbye to your partners. Thank them. Let's come back together into the large group. Let's come back together. Would the volunteers get the microphones? We're going to need the handheld mics. So how was that for you? Good. Let's hear some feedback. Anybody willing to share their experience? But wait, we're going to get a mic, first of all. Oh, there's some mics there. Thank you. Uh, we had a great discussion, but um, I have a request yes. in terms of if you can add anything to the whole concept of vulnerability. Because um, I think 
certainly from my experience, I feel a lot more vulnerable as I get older. And, yes. And vulnerable, you know, either your, your significant other or your friends get ill, get ill, disease, get back problem, whatever it is. Yeah. And you know you're going to die and, you know, you're going to get sick at some point or something's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And how to deal with that. Yes, how to deal with that is a big question. It's a big question. Yeah. So the short answer <laughs> is what will what will be with you through all those experiences? Maybe your significant other won't be able to be there. Maybe your children won't be able to be there. Maybe even your doctor won't be there. What will be with you through <coughs> all your experiences of illness or disability or fragility or vulnerability, there's one thing that will be with you. That is your mind. <laughs> this is the Buddha's teaching, and I'm, I'm speaking for the Buddha today as best I can. Um, and he, he himself, I didn't bring it with me, but he, there's one sutta where he talks about his own fragility and his own, you know, his, he said he compared his body to an old cart that was put together with ties and, you know, it was just a wreck. <laughs> an old cart that's falling apart. What did he do? He, his, his practice was in being present with mindfulness. And remembering the teachings of loving kindness and compassion. The, that's where he put his mind. That's what we will have with us always, is that capacity to work with our mind. That's why we train now. It won't happen spontaneously. But if we train now, we will have with us something that will help us. So there's a story of a young man. I read this in People magazine. You never know when, where you're going to get your <laughs> Dharma lessons. A young man who, uh, I don't think he was a doctor, but he was a student of a Buddhist teacher in Colorado, and he decided to go to Africa to help with the Ebola crisis. He was drawn to do that for some reason. So he went off and he... He, you know, was doing the work, but he got Ebola himself. So he found himself in a isolated, you know, ward somewhere in a bed with nobody around him that he knew, no, no family, no old friends, no, you know, he was completely alone, uh, facing his death. And it came to him a, a chant that he had learned in his Buddhist practice. And he began chanting to himself. And it's a, I know the chant he mentioned, but it's a long chant. And, it, and it, he just said that's where his mind went, and he just started chanting and chanting. It, he said that's what saved my life. He said, I felt protected, I felt safe, I felt at home, I felt my mind was protected from going into the fear, the, the angst, the what am I doing, you know, all the thoughts. He just settled him, his whole focus was on the chant. 
So that's one example of you know what what's possible for for any of us. But we need to start doing those kinds of practices now. If you had a chant, if you had a song, if you had a saying, if you had something that is meaningful to you, it hardly matters what it is. If it's meaningful to you, it will be there to help you. Row, row, row your boat, if that's your thing, you know. <laughs> that could be it. It's the, it's, the, it's the relationship with it that's really important. So, you're welcome. Yes? I have a thought about you're saying it's about the mind. Because my mother lived into her 90s and had progressing Alzheimer's. Yes. And what was fascinating to me about it is she was a, a happy Alzheimer patient. Yes, yes. She became very childlike. Yes. And when I was with her, I felt more like the parent and she was like the little girl. Yes. And she passed with more of an ease because uh-huh. of that. It's yes. just kind of interesting about the That's mind. That's right. I have a friend who said the same thing about her father, that he was always a very kind man. He got Alzheimer's, but he was still kind. And my mother was social and loved by so many people, so she had so many people yeah. loving her and yeah. caring for her. Right, she right. wasn't at home right. near the end. But. So these are qualities of heart and mind. We say mind because there's no good word, but heart-mind is really what's meant. There, there's so many good qualities that come from doing meditation practice. So when those are developed, they're available for us. So my friend's father, he had been kind all his life. He'd been practicing kindness. So that didn't disappear. What are we practicing in our lives? That's kind of the basic question. What are we practicing? Who else? Anybody else? Yes. Hi. Um, And this probably is a little bit off. Well, I don't know. I've had cancer four times. I've had death in my life since I was small, and I'm not sure what I should be doing with that, because I want to comfort people and let them know that not everybody's cancer runs the same course. Um, So I just had to ask, thank you. Well, it sounds like you've learned some things. You have some wisdom to share. That's a beautiful thing to give to somebody. Your story itself is a, is a gift. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but... That's... Yeah, I just don't know. I'm, I'm out seeking. I'm seeking. For... Give her the mic. Oh. Looking for ways to comfort people and yeah. and and love them. So and love them. Well, aren't we lucky to know you? <laughs> <laughs> Would there were more people like you in the world? That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, my mom just passed away last March. She was 95. Um, it was a 
blessed death or merciful death because she had uh, vascular dementia. She couldn't put a sentence together, made two or three words, and then she'd forget her train of thought and be so frustrated. And it was a board and care. It wasn't all that great a, you know, enriching life. But, you know, in the end, I realized that, you know, being with her, no matter how, you know, difficult it was before, sensing that we're near the end time, last month, weeks, months, we didn't know, but um, just starting to engage with her more in a way she could understand. And I started like singing show tunes to her, like Sinatra and stuff. Yeah. Because I love singing Sinatra and a song she could remember that, Dean yeah. Martin, things like that. And I, it, it could get through to her where totally. other things couldn't. Absolutely. And so even putting a little bit of video on Facebook and stuff like that just to sort of celebrate mom and, uh, you know, the end is near, but uh, yeah. go out singing. Yeah, beautiful. That's lovely. You found something. Because I put so much fear into her before with my alcoholism and, you know, getting taken away in an ambulance with the Pleasant Hill police there and everything else. And uh, she shouldn't be in a place of fear when she's so confused like that. So so if I can, you know, you know, have her forgive me um, for my transgressions and, uh, you know, go out a happier person that's and it just left me with a much better feeling about you know, my relationship it with sounds like you found something really important yeah good yes a nugget of wisdom from my partner Marion uh, was uh, the difference between acceptance and passivity and could you share some wisdom on on that what did your partner tell you about it (laughs) well um, we only had two so we got a chance to talk to each other after the first two sessions and the challenge I'm facing I think a lot of us are facing is doing what we can do but that is less than what we used to be able to do and how to accept that but not give up Um, so there's an extreme of just I can't do this anymore I give up uh, which I don't right. do, but I can't right. recognize that there's some things I can't do anymore, but I want to do whatever I can do. And yeah. So that's the balance. But That's right. That's the wisdom coming forth. Because part of what we are, it's happening to us without our even aware, being aware of it, we're, we're getting wise. Like it or not, we're being, you know, we're getting wise. So we see the difference between what I can do and what I, it's impossible. You know, we begin to get in touch with, you know, let's, let's be wise about it. Let's not make ourselves be somewhere we're not. So um, passivity, you know the difference between when we're accepting of something. You just know it. I don't even need to, I don't need to tell you. I would just say look within and you'll see what the difference is. Passivity to me has a kind of um, withdrawn and contracted state in it, you know, whereas acceptance feels more even open-hearted. It's like we're allowing things to be known as they are rather than shrinking or contracting from life. We're, we're engaged on some level, even if we're lying in a bed somewhere. If we're practicing, we're engaged. We're still there. We're working with the situation as it is. 
if we give up, we may just, you know, you, you know what it feels like to give up. It doesn't feel that great. No. So maybe you'll give up for a little while and then you'll come back. I mean, that also <laughs> can be possible. I don't know. Does that help? Yes, thank you. You're welcome. I just want to add that that reminds me of Eric Erickson's last stage, which I think, I'm not an Ericksonian, is generativity versus stagnation. Oh, yeah, that's nice. And of nice. course, he came up with these stages of life way before we were living so long, but I think it's yeah. a nice way to look at it. So generativity could be, you know, sending a postcard a week to your grandchildren who live in another state. Yes. Or Sure, you find, or this gentleman singing the Sinatra songs to his mom. You know, we find creative ways of uh, responding in different situations. Yeah. Actually, actually, Erickson's last stage is integrity versus despair. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Which... um, Which I have, which I think for what we're talking about today is beautiful. Yes. And despair in the sense, despair, when you're talking about acceptance versus compassion, or I think of acceptance versus giving up. When I work with clients and they say, well, I can't do that, I can't give up, I've got to do, and I said, no, we're not talking about giving up. We're talking about Mm -hmm. accepting. Yeah. You don't have to like it. Yeah. You don't have to like it. You don't mm-hmm. have to think, oh, this is the way it is. It's just the acceptance, and then just opens up into something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's what uh, was it Pearl's called uh, paradoxical theory of change. Yes. Which I also love. That's right. Which is like it's a paradox. You know, if you totally are in the present, change happens. That's right. <laughs> it's always happening, but most of the time we're in contention with it. So acceptance means not being in contention. It means allowing, I like that word, allowing things to be as they are. Not expecting a cat to bark or a dog to meow. You know, that's a degree of acceptance right there. We're not bringing in an expectation of something that's not going to happen. <laughs> so all these words are good. They're good to... F- Try on all these words like, okay, integrity, despair. What do we know about these words? We know a lot if we look within. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say that something I learned this year beside wanting my mom who died 20 years ago to forgive me is every day I have to forgive myself. I choose to say out loud, I forgive myself. And that makes me feel better about whether or not my mom forgives me from another planet. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're offering yourself something really healing and important. Yeah. There's one right here. Now, I was just going to recall something... Um, from reading that I've done in the last year by Pema Chodron about fear and acknowledging fear. Mm -hmm. Fear is there. 
It will mm-hmm. always be there. Mm-hmm. It won't go away. And say, I see you, fear. Uh-huh. I know you're there. Yes. But I will just be. So again, it's, it's that idea of acceptance. The paradox. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's an accepting that we transform. Mm-hmm. We can't transform anything we're resisting. What we resist persists. But once we accept, oh, fear is here. Okay, fear. The Buddha did this on the night he was enlightened. He was visited, it is said, by all these difficult mind states, fear and despair and lust and craving. And, you know, all these things came to say to him, forget this enlightenment stuff, you know, let's... I want to tell you my sad story. And he would look at each thing that arose and say, Ah, fear. I know you fear. We have met many times before. We're like old friends. But you know what? I've done with your story. I'm just not buying it. So there's a sense of knowing something that empowers us to not go down that road again. But we have to meet it. We have to get to know it. We have to see how fear operates. We have to understand it. So instead of it being an obstacle, it becomes the, the, the growth of our own wisdom. What's in the way becomes the way. Yes. A Chinese friend taught me that the character for crisis is made up of two symbols. Danger and opportunity. Yes, right. Opportunity. Actually, Longfellow said this thing about that. He said, age is opportunity no less than youth itself. Though in another dress. (laughs) And as the evening twilight fades away, the sky is filled with stars invisible by day. We see things that can't be seen in our youth. That's the wisdom. Okay, yeah, okay, this will be our I work last. With a, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I work with a senior group, a lot of 80 and 90-year-olds. Um, one of the things, I mean, fear is definitely something we talk about, but sadness is another thing. And I remember that story about Mara. Is it... Is it sadness or fear when you come sit by my table that sadness is always with you? Could you talk a little bit about sadness? Um, okay. Let's see. Sadness. In, in, in aging? Um, we're letting go of the past. Right? That's... And actually, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more after lunch. We're letting go of the past, and sometimes that's the feeling of loss, of losing, or of grieving for what was. All those beautiful times we had, they're gone, and they're not coming back. 
So there is oftentimes this kind of sadness, and but it doesn't mean that we have to live there. It doesn't mean that that's all that's going on. If we have had, if we have a practice that teaches us about being here, we begin to see that we have a preference that develops. I'd rather be here than in the past. I'd rather be here than in the future. That's what the practice teaches us. So even though sadness may arise, it doesn't completely overwhelm us. It doesn't take over the whole sense of our life. Yes, I'm sad because that was a beautiful day that we shared on the whatever, you know. We all have such beautiful memories of, you know, we didn't realize at the time they were going so fast or that we wouldn't have a hundred more of those days. But whether we had a hundred more or not, they all go. I don't know, That's my. those are my before lunch thoughts on sadness. <laughs> So let's let's break for lunch and we'll take it's 12:45 now. We'll take an hour. So if you would um be back here at 1:45, we'll have a bell at say 1:35. Enjoy your lunch.
table.
I was interested. I appreciate your openness yeah. to
Sounds like a party. <laughs> what have I unleashed? <laughs> well, I guess you found a few things to talk about. Yeah. Originally, this uh, was going to be a three-day non-residential retreat. And it, for various spirit rock reasons, it got switched. So I'm a little bit like, oh my gosh, there's so much to cover. (laughs) But I don't want to be talking the whole afternoon. So um, we're going to sit, I'm going to talk a little, and then we're going to do another exercise. I'm deciding that that would be the best way to go, to give you guys a little more uh, contact with what's stirring in you. I think that's so important. So, um, let's close our eyes and find a posture where we can feel upright and settled. There's always this balance in practice between alertness, like really being here, like I'm here. You know, really that feeling of I'm here and I'm ready for whatever. Whatever comes, I'm ready. That's a lovely way to think about. You know, it's not a couch potato ready. It's not like, oh, I'm I'm here. It's not like that. It's more like I'm really, you know, ready for whatever. Come on, let's let's see what's true. And then there's also the the other quality that is ease. Being at ease, not on vigilant, you know, not like military, you know, you don't want to be like that, but you want to be both easeful and present, ready, sort of alert. And after lunch, of course, that's particularly challenging. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just how our bodies are. It may be a little bit of nap time. But we're not here to take a nap, we're here. So you might want to keep your eyes a little more open during this time. That can help. Or just your eyes open and and, and kind of cast down. It's not like about looking around. It's just there's energy that comes into your body through your eyes. So keeping them open can be helpful. Maybe chanting ah together. Let's chant ah three times because that also brings energy. We have to take in a big, a big deep breath. Great big deep breath in. Ah. 
another deep breath. Ah, another deep breath. Ah, return to its normal rhythm.
As you're sitting here and breathing, feeling your presence in your body, bring bring special attention to the changing nature of your experience. Notice how everything comes and goes, sounds arise and pass, thoughts come and go, breath inhales, exhale, sensations in the body, Sometimes there's warmth, sometimes there's coolness, sometimes there's heaviness, sometimes there's lightness or vibration. Notice the changing nature of your experience. Let things come and let them go. What do you notice that is changing moment to moment? Allow change.
And we allow things to change? Or do we grab hold? Notice, notice where you grab, where you grasp onto a thought, an experience of some kind. Meditation is sometimes likened to sitting by a river, watching the river flow by. Notice that you can do that with the thoughts, the sounds, the moods, the sensations, the moving river of life. We don't have to get all entangled. We can watch it go by.
May all of us and all beings who are aging find peace within change. A good teacher of change is nature. You go out in the forest and you see a lot of different stages of growth and life and budding and decay, all all there together. And the forest is not arguing about it. No, I don't want to shed my leaves. No, no. Or, you know, it's all part of nature. We're part of nature. We've forgotten we're part of nature. Without nature, we'd, we're, we're not here. <laughs> I don't know, people on Mars doesn't quite... I don't quite get it. Live, living in a plastic tube for the rest of my life. I don't think so. We're part of nature. Okay, a poem by Billy Collins. Can't let a day on aging go by without Billy Collins. So he wrote a little poem that some of you probably have heard called Forgetfulness. The name of the author is the first to go, (laughs) followed obediently by the title, the plot, the heartbreaking conclusion, the entire novel, which suddenly becomes one you have never read, never even heard of, as if one by one the memories you used to harbor decided to retire to the southern hemisphere of the brain, to a little fishing village where there are no phones. Long ago, you kissed the names of the nine muses goodbye. Anybody know the names of the nine muses? And watched the quadratic equation pack its bag. And even now, as you memorize the order of the planets, something else is slipping away. A state flower, perhaps, the address of an uncle, the capital of Paraguay, Whatever it is you are struggling to remember, it is not poised on the tip of your tongue, not even lurking in some obscure corner of your spleen. It has floated away down, to, down a dark mythological river whose name begins with uh, an L, as far as I can recall. Well on your own way to oblivion where you will join those who have even forgotten how to swim or how to ride a bicycle. No wonder you rise in the middle of the night to look up the date of a famous battle in a book on war. No wonder the moon in the window seems to have drifted out of a love poem that you used to know by heart.
Sweet, huh? So in some cultures, the old people are called elders. They're the ones who maybe they're working memory is not so good but they remember the important things they remember for the good of their communities and their tribes what are the important things to remember Michael Mead says the first kind of forgetting misplaces things in the moment but the great forgetting involves a loss of memory regarding the gift of life itself and a lack of living wisdom that helps make both individual and collective life meaningful. In traditional cultures, the elders are expected to remember the essential things that everyone else keeps forgetting. In traditional cultures, the elders were considered to be a valuable resource without whose guidance the whole society could lose its way. In our modern life, instead of people growing older and wiser, people can simply grow older and older. People can live longer and longer without becoming any wiser for it. But the true elders are those who have found threads of purpose and meaning amidst the illusions and delusions of life. Such psychological maturity involves a shift from a self-centered life to one of genuine meaning and service to others. So we're going to look a little bit at this question of meaning and purpose of this stage of life because we don't get a chance very often to do that especially with others who are doing likewise so um, one kind of kind of common idea or in our in our culture is the bucket list you know that now that I'm retired now that I have time I'm going to do x y and z and we make a list of you know the adventures we're going to have the travels we're going to make all that great nothing wrong with that however it's limited or it can be limited if it's if it's only about the external here's a man who wrote about his experience i don't think he's a buddhist but he came upon this um 
Middle age arrives not with a birthday, but with a sudden unbidden insight in the middle of a night, you roll over and eye the clock and see all at once that the phrase, anything is possible, is no longer true. If it, That is, it is no longer true for you. You are not going to become a doctor or run a marathon or have a baby or sail around the world on a solo voyage documented by National Geographic. In a way, this comes as a relief. When possibilities stop being endless, you can narrow the choices. A few years ago, I made a list of things I had long wanted to do but hadn't yet. Not exactly a bucket list, but yes, the same idea. I took up boxing. I started taking photographs. I got a tattoo. I did some traveling. I tried a few things. Finally, I moved to New York, something I had wanted to do since I was a kid. With that, the to-do list was nearly complete. Now, safely on the other side of 60, it seems a good time to revisit the list. I could add to the list, make it 50 items long. Someone told me recently about visiting Hungary, and I felt a kind of ravenous desire, almost erotic, to get on a plane and visit But within days, the feeling passed, as desires often do, and I thought, if I should die tomorrow without seeing Hungary, so be it. (laughs) My aim instead is to reduce the list to just one item. I want to set myself a major challenge as as I face my last quarter century. Excuse me. And here it is, the major challenge, to be rid of my most marked trait, extreme anxiety. It has served its purpose, but more often anxiety has caused needless worrying, even suffering, and I am done. Anxiety, I am bringing our relationship to an end. And so he describes, again, he's not a Buddhist by any means, but he describes his own way of working with this and being very determined about it, that this is what is giving his life meaning right now. Uh, So here, as his, so he's, describing how he's working with it. So as he says, as it starts to crest into a wave that threatens to take me under, I take a step back on an imagined beach and I said, Hey, you, I see you, anxiety. I see you coming. I take a deep breath and I stand my ground. Yeah, so he's working with anxiety as... Uh, a replacement, you could say, for his bucket list. Something inside of him that wants to transform that experience. So that's very much, you know, what I was trying to point at this morning, that this challenge we have as we go forward with unknown conditions, because we're all facing a lot of unknown. We We don't know... You know, illness, disability, accident, and of course, death. 
these things may happen. We know death will definitely happen. Other things may happen, but we can't say how or when or, you know, if even. So we're facing a lot of unknown. But when we do that with a mind that is a mind-heart, that has within it some sense of courage and calmness and determination and kindness and all those things, then we are well equipped for whatever comes. Eckhart Tolle writes about the difference in our lives between when we are adults and we have the outer purpose, say, of raising a family. We have the outer purpose of having a, a, a career, a job, a profession, and we put a lot of energy into that. And that outer purpose, by the time we are 60, 65, 70, maybe later, eventually is pretty much done. The family has been raised. The children are grown. The profession is, we're phasing out. We're, it's not what it was at one time. The outer purpose is finishing. We see it happening. And Eckhart Tolle writes about how that, quite naturally for people, that turns inward. The inner purpose begins to be more significant, more of a, like, pay attention to me. Um, In India, uh, at the age of 60, Traditionally, people were set free from their household responsibilities. At the age of 60, and I think it's still true, I can't speak too uh, certainly about this, but because it's been in the Indian culture for so long, I can't imagine it would disappear overnight, even though the country is being westernized. But this idea that at age 60 you are set free from your outer purpose, your responsibilities, and you are free to go about fulfilling your spiritual purpose, your spiritual realization is what you're free to pursue. So you may see in India people who are wanderers and they're supported because it's sort of understood that they're in a they're doing something valuable it's just unusual for a, you know it's it's in from our terms they these people would be called homeless and seen as derelict and you know they're not working so they have no value it's not like that in india they're seen to be fulfilling an important part of life a developmental stage. We need to hear that um, that a, a new developmental stage is trying to happen in us, and we can either cooperate or or not. So let me read this.
Here we go. <coughs> this is Dr. Jean Cohen, a gerontologist, who just said this. He said, after describing various maps of developmental stages, Dr. Jean Cohen stated, the reality of adult life is much richer and more a more complex tapestry of struggle, growth, and creative potential. We are at 50, 60, 70 and older, not so very different from children of four, five, six or older who struggle through developmental transitions and life changes. We progress at our own pace, each of us. If we struggle or hesitate at times, it is not because we are older and less capable, but because we are in the process of developmental transition, which often goes unrecognized and therefore unsupported. I think that's so true in our culture. So part of the confusion we may feel, the vulnerability we may feel, is that we're not getting maybe the support we need to transition into this new stage of life, where our tasks are different, our needs are different. As a result, we often misunderstand the nature of our struggle and overlook the tremendous opportunities for new growth. It would be absurd to suggest that a child who cannot read at age three will never be a reader. And yet we judge ourselves just that harshly when we limit our expectations of life at age 60 or any age to what we are or what we know or what we can do at that age instead of seeing ourselves as works in progress, capable of lifelong learning, growth, and change. These developmental steps require the same leaps of faith, risk-taking, and emotional vulnerability as they did when we were five and learning to tie our shoes or say goodbye to our parents at school each day. They also offer a similar potential for discovery and delight as we age. Just as we celebrate the toddler's struggle to walk, we need to recognize the steps of the adult development as a building process, not a crisis or a dead end, and celebrate the creative potential possible for each of us on our separate journeys. I love that. That we are in a developmental transition and that there's this potential that we're trying to bring forth. Part of what brought you here today is that very potential, that sense of, how can I do this? How can I do this? How do I do this? What is this about, this time in my life? What is the vision I can find for, that would support me in this time of life? So, Eckhart Tolle, we feel this turn from the outer purpose to the inner purpose. He says, what this means is we feel called to explore our inner life in new ways. The outer purpose is often defined by others. 
you need to get a job, you need to raise a family, you need to do this and that and the other. Whereas our inner purpose is largely defined and chosen by ourselves. It has nothing to do with what other people are telling us to do or what we should do or the right thing to do or anything. It's what comes out of our inner exploration, what comes as a sense of this is my piece to do, like the man who said, I've got to deal with this anxiety before I die. He was choosing his inner purpose. It appears as something calling to us. It is our choice to respond or not. What is calling you? Something is calling you. What is it? And how will you respond? John O'Donohue, the beautiful poet, he said in a poem, he said, May I have the courage today to live the life that I would love, to postpone my dream no longer, but do at last what I came here for, and waste my heart on fear no more. That's his call. You can feel it, right? It's just like, yeah, this is, this is what my life is about now. So in the Buddhist, in the Buddhist uh, teachings, there is a saying... The days and nights are relentlessly passing. How well am I spending my time? This should be reflected upon again and again. So in some Buddhist monasteries, these kinds of reflections are done daily to help us remember the time is passing, we don't have forever. Uh, what are, what are we, how are we spending our time? What a great question. Here's a cartoon (laughs) of somebody watching TV in the couch potato pose. I could have been a master 10,000 hours ago, but I chose to watch TV. (laughs) How many hours have we spent in front of the television? Probably even more. So... This man, Arthur Brooke, who writes for the New York Times, visited Thailand some years ago, and he was very impressed by the Buddhist monks there who make it a practice to contemplate contemplate death. He had never heard of such a thing, but when he talked to them and learned about it, he realized that they were on to something. So he wrote an editorial that says, to be happier, start thinking more about your death. paradoxically this meditation on death is intended as a key to better living it makes students aware of the transitory nature of their physical lives and stimulates a realignment a realignment between momentary desires and existential goals In other words, it makes one ask, am I making the right use of my scarce and precious life? And then he goes on to propose that most people 
suffer from a grave misalignment. So there was a Nobel Prize winner, Daniel Kahneman, surveyed a group of women to compare how much satisfaction they derive from their daily activities. Among voluntary activities, we might expect that choices would roughly align with satisfaction. Not so. The women reported deriving more satisfaction from prayer, worship, and meditation than from watching television. How many of us would raise our hands for that? Yeah. Yet, the average respondent spent more than five times as long watching TV as engaging in meditation. So there you have it. We we say we oh we love meditation, but I gotta watch you know twenty hours of political news. This misalignment can lead to ennui and regret. And then he goes on about our distracted culture and everything. So considering uh, death kind of wakes us up out of that distracted, those distracted habits of mind and heart. So this brings us to our next exercise, which is to um, explore the question for yourself of, let me make sure I get the question right, the question of what matters to you now. So we're going to do a little bit different exercise this time. We're going to be in groups of three, as before. But we're going to have this uh, done as what is called a repeating question. So there will be three people in each group. One person will be the questioner, and they'll ask one other person... What matters to you now? You answer. And it can, you know, you don't know what's going to come up, so you just look inside and whatever comes, you say. What matters to you now? The person who asks the question says, thank you. And then they ask the same question again. What matters to you now? It's called a repeating question. So it's the same question that is asked each time to the same person. The third person has a very important role. They are there as a scribe. They are there to write down what the person who responds says. Not every word they say, because that would be too hard. But certain words that seem to have import for them, like what matters to you, you keep hearing the word uh, service, say. It's like, oh, so you, you write down just maybe even that word or a, a part of a sentence of what they say. So they will have it at the end to remind them of what they said. Because when you're answering like this, 
you don't always remember later what you said. So the scribe has a very important function, but you but the scribe is not talking. The scribe is only writing keywords or parts of sentences that seem important. So there's three people. One is asking the question, one is answering, and one is taking notes. And you're just doing that form. You're not having a conversation about the exercise or giving people ideas about what they could say. <laughs> this is really, really try to stay focused because that's when you'll get the most out of it. Any questions? Yes. In the back. Oh, I'll time it with the bell. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the question's being repeated ten times? Well, ten we'll times. see how... There's not a time limit on how many... No. We'll, we'll do it for about six minutes, so I don't know how many questions. It depends how long the response is. When you're responding, try not to tell a big story about, well, it used to matter to me when my husband, blah, 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 blah. Don't do that. Just what matters to you now. See if images come, if words come, things you never thought of come. Just let yourself say that. Also, in this kind of exercise, you can also say, I don't know. That can be an answer. Thank you. What matters to you now? You get another chance. So it's not like you have to have the perfect Buddhist answer or something, you know, like, oh, studying the Buddha's teachings and memorizing the sutta. No, it's not like that. It's what matters to you now at this time in your life. That's where the juice is. Okay. Yes. We we could get some extra paper. Um, yeah, that would probably be a good idea. Well, either use a piece of paper you have, or if you don't have paper, we'll get extra paper. And so something you can give to that person. You don't want it out of your journal. So a piece of paper that you can give to them. Okay, so find two people and and find a group... Way to sit together. if you don't have a group. Look around at other people. Find other people to group up with. Oh, great. Thank you.
Oh. But it's a pleasure. Yeah. Oh, good. I hope you come back. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, listen up, everyone. Listen up. Decide who will be the which. Decide who will be which in your group. Who will be the questioner? Who will be the answerer? And who will be the scribe? Yes. Yes, you'll each do all, each role, okay? I will be timing this, so we'll start together. Okay, everybody, on your mark. Let's all start together if you could if you could give me your attention so I know you're ready. Okay. So the first person to ask the question, please begin. feeling good. seem too much or whatever, so now I'm, you know, trying to work hard, standing closer to my kids and grandkids. 
as always, being in nature. I love feeling free, and that's important to me, not being tied down with the job and everything. Um, last meditation, I actually started thinking, maybe what I've been telling myself about how great being free is, maybe that's part of why I feel a little bereft or something, is because yeah, I'm free, but... To what, you know, and um, maybe being willing to make some new changes is something I've shied away from since I retired, but maybe I can feel that's kind of becoming something that I want. If my husband follows through on his promise to bring fresh oysters back from Point Reyes for dinner tonight. <laughs> hey, it just came up. We're good. <laughs> Politics are just, it, they matter to me so much that it's so painful I can hardly approach it. And just the earth and our country and our sense of our community, it just, it just really matters to me. to take more risks uh, in personal relationships. 
so sort of fearful of what people might think of me or something if I say whatever thing. Being a little more fearless. Bring it, bring it to a close. Everyone close your eyes and come back inside. Close your eyes. Close your eyes, come back inside. Close your eyes. Take a moment to feel your body, feel your breathing. Breathe. Breathe. Okay, then open your eyes and the next person, rotate yourselves around in some fashion. Okay, let's begin, new person, let's begin together, what matters to you now?
Bring it to a close. Once again, take a moment to close your eyes. Come back inside. Feel your body. Feel your breath. Come back into your body. Feel your breathing. Feel your heart. Breathe, breathe. Feel your living breath. And then open your eyes and the third person...
What matters to you now?
Bring it to a close. Take a moment or two to finish with your partners. Thank them and then let's come back into the larger group. Let's come back into the large group. So let's hear from a few folks. <clears throat> Who would like to share something about that experience? Who would like to share? What did you discover? What surprised you? What did you learn? Anything? 
I hope by now you're seeing the usefulness of the staying with the question. It's like a it's like surgery, you know, you just <laughs> kind of keep going in and in and in. But it has a, a it often shows us the things that if we were just having a conversation would never come out. Okay. So who would like to share something? Yes, right here. Let, let's wait for the mic if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, thank you. It's short. Okay. Just that it's a really it's a real declaration. A declaration. It's not just a no. passing fleeting thought. That's right. It's like being witnessed and it's being written. Yes. And I spoke it. That's Therefore, <laughs> <laughs> I hope I mean every word of it. Oh, wonderful. That's <laughs> In beautiful. This now moment. And you have the evidence that it actually happened. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. You look like kind that. of radiant as you're saying oh. it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Who else? Here's one. As we were talking after we finished, um, I asked the question out loud, now how can I go, how can I actually do this? That's right. And one of my wonderful partners here said, the question to ask is, in what ways am I already doing it? Beautiful. Very nice. Yes. So this, this is evoking wisdom. And, and, I, and I just want you to recognize this is your own wisdom. This is your, your inner guide telling you what's important. And this is what we listen to. Nobody else could tell you what matters to you now. It's your question only. It's all yours. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay, who else? Yes. And two things. One, a, a process is the noticing the level of intimacy between people that can happen so quickly when yes. you're in an authentic conversation. That's right. That's right. And and what is the impact of that? Yeah. Uh, connection, deeper truth, mm-hmm. that's affirming, right. affirming. That's life. right. That's right. The, the other part for me is the repetitive nature of the question is that the gold the gold is in the 18th time, the 19th time. That's right, time, and exactly. And something emerges that might never have happened if you'd only totally. asked Totally. Imagine doing this for 20 minutes. I didn't spring that on you, but it's possible. Yes, that's right, exactly. But it's possible. You just keep going and going and going. Yeah. And so there's something that is so important in what you're saying that, okay, we're in a new developmental stage. The culture isn't giving us much clues as to what it's about. You know, how do we guide ourselves? How do we navigate in this kind of fuzzy territory? Well, one answer is we need to be witnessed. We need to be heard. We need to be witnessed. We need to be mirrored so that it becomes real. Like, it's not just a fantasy. becomes like, okay, I heard you say it, I wrote it down. Like what you were saying. It's a declaration. It becomes more 
of, yeah, this is my life and this is real. This is important. So we need those kinds of processes. It's a way of helping us in the transition. Good. Okay, who else? What came up for me was knowing... Where am I looking? Over here. Oh. (laughs) It's like, where is this voice coming from? Cooing on the radio. (laughs) Uh, What matters to me now is... uh, knowing my role in that exercise because the role kept changing and when I was speaking it was really easy because I was speaking first but then after that when I was scribing I wanted to start asking questions Mm -hmm. and then when I was um, asking the question I wanted to be scribing I don't know my role was just really I had to be really focused on what my role was yes, in exercise. Right, right. And and that was challenging. Yeah. Curious. I don't know what to say about it. It's just curious. Nothing. Yeah. We'll say nothing <laughs> then. But you notice something, so it might be worth exploring a little, you know. Anyway, thank you. I just want to also go back to what he said, which is that the connection. Yes. But it breaks the isolation. Yes. We all sit around in our little minds with our little, you know, I don't want to say little, but with separate. <laughs> separate. They feel little inside, mm-hmm. but they're, they're big thoughts and big feelings and big ideas. And then you hear someone else reflecting them and you go, oh, we're in this together. That's right. So that's what I like about it. So, so maybe the, instead of little, separate. We feel so separate in our inner, you know, thinking about aging. It's like, oh, I'm all alone against this, you know. But we find out we're not alone. We are connected and others have wisdom and we have wisdom and let's share it because it takes a village to do this part of life. Yes. For me, the very act of someone seriously asking such an important question, and then someone else, when something is written down that you've said, it demonstrates such value. Yes, that's true. So first it's, I value you by asking you that important yes, question. Yes, that's true. And secondly, I value you because I'm writing it down. That's right. Uh, that's just lovely. Oh, beautiful. It doesn't happen very often. No. Great. Yeah, but it could happen more often. <laughs> it really, I mean, some of you who came with partners or friends, you can take these exercises home. And do them with each other. You can even do them on the phone or by Zoom or something. You know, that's the new way to connect these days. But you now have some tools that you can practice with. Yes. Yes, I would agree with that. And that was the first thing that popped into my head. I have a friend that we're talking about. She does these aging groups and I've talked to her about joining her and getting involved with them. And this was a great activity. I thought what was remarkable about the three of us 
revealing what really mattered to us is how they were each a little bit different, but very similar. And it was lovely asking repeatedly and watching it unfold yes. like a flower. Yes, yeah. that's right. Totally organic. Yes. It's not like we have an agenda or even know what's going to come up. A lot of times people come on retreat here and they think they know what's going to happen. But it's a, it's a lesson we all learn over and over. We haven't a clue. We think we're going to be all exhausted and stressed out. We come on retreat and suddenly we've got all this energy and we're just like excited and, you know. Or we may be the opposite. We come on retreat and we think oh, I'm in such a great place, this is going to be a breeze. And we sit down and we're hit by, you know, all kinds of difficult mind states. That can happen also. We just don't know. And inquiry is a bit the same in that we don't know until we look inside and we get into the process and then it reveals itself. So we learn to trust that. We learn to trust that the process will show us where we need to go. We don't have to figure it out all by ourselves. It will inform us if we give it the space and time to be heard. Yes, you're out there. Hello. <laughs> uh, I was just thinking, uh, in general, I'm a fairly contented soul. Uh, and that reason, it was very strange for me to find it difficult to answer the question. Uh-huh. Well, there could be some unfamiliarity with being asked in such a direct way. That's very true. I don't think anybody's asked me that question before. Yes. But um, the, the question arose in my mind afterwards, why am I so contented <laughs> if I can't find out what matters to me? Uh-huh. Well, maybe you don't have to find out anything. <laughs> you know, this is, this is one access door to seeing what's true. Maybe you found that what's, well, it's already working for you. Whatever you found is working well. But we also don't know, as when we go home, when you go home tonight, tomorrow... This question may still be alive in you. And it may bring you some, some more revelations as the days unfold. Because it's been put in your psyche now. You know, or you may have a dream tonight that it's like, wow. Oh. So this is how it works as well. Things get planted, little seeds get planted. We don't see the sprouts right away. Okay, yes. I was going to say that over the last several years... Hold it closer. Oh, after the... Over the last several years, I've been noticing this internal shift. Yes. And I felt like this exercise gave me permission as well as confirmation that I had moved into this inner journey. Yes. And um, there was a lot of uh, joy around that. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Affirming. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes, right there. Um, I've done this exercise 
um, a few times, and what to push it even a little bit further is that if I have a problem with somebody or I have an issue with something, is to do an inquiry with a friend, and it takes a lot of work and strength to go really deep. And, um, you know, trust that friend. And the, the process is the same, but it's, you know, when I have somebody that's mirroring things that I really don't like about myself, is to do that with a friend and then find out why, what's way mm -hmm. deep down inside. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this exercise can be done many in many ways. different ways. That's right. But the, but the person you're doing it with is not judging you. Exactly. And that's what's so healing, mm -hmm. is to be heard without somebody either judging you or recommending a different you, you know. <laughs> right, and at, and at the end, what that person will reflect back to me is what she heard. Yes. He say, and then if I want, I can get feedback. You know, what she, feedback. Yes. Yeah. It's up to you, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's powerful. So, let's see over here. Yes. Hello. Hello. Sounded kind of loud. Um, I found that um, by being asked, and then being thanked, and then mm. knowing that someone was writing that down, um, it made me feel that what I was saying was legitimate and um, valid and enough. Where, whereas if I'm thinking things to myself, that's I might right. think, oh, that's too lofty, or oh, that's silly, or, yeah. or whatever, or right. that's foo-foo, you know. That's right. But it was... Um, yeah, it was very affirming. Good. Yeah. So this is a part of the spiritual path, is recognizing our wisdom. It's so important. I have noticed this as a teacher, that often in the Buddhist tradition people aren't it's it's so much in silence that this part never gets um, aired. But when we are together this way, we can we hear it more easily. What we actually know, and what is a you know, wisdom is not this abstract, dry old thing sitting on a shelf, and you look on page eighty one for you know advice. No. It's living inside of you. Wisdom is a living force inside of you. It's based in your own life experience, your own, your own awareness, your ability to pay attention and notice what you're learning in life, and <clears throat> your own... Um, you, you know stuff. So you have to begin to articulate it and, and, and hear yourself in that process. So this is all helping that. Very important.
we have such a tendency in, you know, I, I say to people often that when I started practice, there were no books. There were no Dharma books. And it was kind of a wonderful thing because the only way to hear the Dharma was to go on retreat, which I did. I went back to IMS with Jack and Joseph and Sharon and it was like they were my, they were the ones who I listened to and heard the teachings for the first time from. I couldn't, There, I mean, maybe there were three books, you know, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, Joseph had a book and somebody else, you know. But they were like small books. They weren't, now we have... <laughs> online libraries of Buddhist texts and it, it it's we have a tendency in our culture to think that the wisdom is all there you know it's in the books now there's some useful information but the real wisdom is what you find inside that's where the real wisdom is so please remember that and trust that more than anything it's all there and it doesn't take much, does it, to bring it out? Just the willingness to look inside, be honest, and have somebody listen, reflect, write it down. So that's my little soapbox to you all. Okay, anyone else? Yeah, there's somebody in the back there. I think that when I looked at what the scribe had written down for me and when I thought about what other people had, had how they had responded to the question, that actually um, all three of us coming here was driven by that question. Oh. You know, what yeah. is important to me now yeah. is had fueled us stepping out of our lives to be here. Undoubtedly. Great. So it's a living thing inside of you. Great. What you said about us having wisdom, and it's not just in the books and we know it, um, yes and no. This, in this time that we're in, I feel that, I don't know how many of us here feel, but I think quite a few of us here, at least in, in the people that I know, and deal with on social media are feeling that we're in a time that we never could have predicted, that we yes. don't understand. That's right. That we have no idea mm-hmm. how it's all going to end. That's or right. Even turn into by tomorrow. Yeah. So there's a sense that, well, we thought we had wisdom, we thought we had been working towards things for a lifetime. And it seems to be upended right now. And it's yes. a very frightening time and disheartening, but at the same time, full of incredible energy and hope. Yeah, it's paradoxical, isn't it? It's very it? paradoxical, but I think wisdom is much more difficult to find right Actually, now. Actually, I find wisdom more available. It sounds funny, but I say to people, if you want, you know, the Buddha talked over and over about greed, hatred, and delusion as being the poisons of the human mind. Mm. And that's what creates all the suffering in the world. Greed, hatred, and delusion. So I say to people, okay, you want to know what that looks like? (laughs) You don't have to look far. 
just listen to the news. It's all there. Greed, hatred, and delusion are having a big party on the planet right now. I, I guess what I'm thinking is people are looking for the way forward. We, we know what the way back was and it's not working. And now it's very difficult to know which steps, which way do we go forward without setting off yeah. the minefield. We, we won't know. We can't, we can't make a plan because there's too many moving parts. <laughs> there's a lot of moving parts happening. So we're, we're needing to pay exquisite attention. We need to pay, we need to listen deeply to what is moving us. Trusting that what is moving us is part of what's needed in the world. So maybe we're, we're needing healing. Okay, let's do some healing. Or maybe we need more service. Okay, let's do more service. Trust that what is moving through you is what is needed. So there's, there's a lot here. But, but I think that it's drawing forth people's deep wisdom and deep concern and deep compassion. Do, do I know what's going to happen? I haven't a clue. So I'll tell you a story. There was a story, it's from the Sufi tradition. It's about a Sufi master who lived in a small desert village. And every morning, <clears throat> he crossed the town square to go visit his friend. Like clockwork, he would always cross the square at the same time to go visit his friend. The local sheriff, or chief of police, we might call him, would observe this guy going every morning. So one morning he just felt like, I don't know, making a joke or talking to the Sufi master. He said, so he said to the master, where are you going? And the Sufi master said, I don't know. And the chief of police said, what do you mean you don't know? You go by this every day. You, I know where you go. You go to your friend. And the Sufi master said, no, I, I don't know where I'm going. And he kept on like this, saying, where are you going? I don't know. So finally he just got irritated with the Sufi master and arrested him for resisting the law or something, you know. So he took him to jail and threw him in jail. And so the Sufi master was in his cell. Later that day, the chief of police went to visit him to see how he was doing. And the Sufi master says to him, You see, I didn't know. <laughs> we never know. We never know. We think one thing and something else happens. So we learn in our practice, actually, that it's okay not to know in this sense of the word. I'm not talking about ignorance. I'm just talking about moment to moment. We don't know. When you sit down on your cushion, you have no idea what's going to happen. Do you know what's going to happen in the, in the next 10 minutes or 20 minutes or, you know, hour of your life? None of us knows. In this next moment, a big earthquake could strike. We never know. But we 
take it one moment at a time, one breath at a time, one step at a time. That's what we learn. That's what we learn. We learn how to be present for the unfolding of the mystery called life. And we find out over time that that's actually probably the best thing you can do. Plans go awry. Expectations are often disappointed. But meeting each moment as it comes, things work out. We can't say how or why exactly, but we learned that that's something to support us. We can rely on that moment to moment. So now we're going to do a walking meditation. (laughs) Um, We'll have a short walking and then come back and close. We're we're leaving here at 4.30, so we don't have a lot of time. But let's do 20 minutes of walking just to breathe and get yourself back in touch with your body. So would the bell ringer ring the bell at um, 4 o'clock? Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.